are you a person that takes action? Well, today's guest, Daniel Geffen, author of The Self-Help Addict, he shares the story of how the relationship with his dad and a movie on a plane changed the way he approaches love and how he used the biggest bluff ever in order to win his dream woman. The Legendary Marriage Podcast begins now. If you're feeling more like roommates than soulmates, it's time for the Legendary Marriage Podcast. Every couple wants to have a great marriage, but the trials and challenges of life pull us in different directions. So we talk with amazing couples who share their stories and incredible experts who share their wisdom about building a life together. And at the end of every show, we give you a conversation starter so you and your spouse can build more intimacy and connection in your marriage by having conversations that matter. Welcome to the show. This is episode 145. We're your co-hosts, Danielle and Justin Williams. Hello. Hey, welcome to the show and welcome to... Hi, stranger. Oh, hi. You know what's really weird? When my parents come to visit, I hardly see you. Yeah. Isn't that strange? That I find us doing that on vacations sometimes, too. Yeah. I miss like, you. Like we think, oh, we're going to have this vacation or your parents are going to come to town. We'll have some time to do things together. <laughs> and then, then like a week or two pass and we're like, wait, wait who are you? <laughs> what happened? Do we need to like reconnect? What should we do, honey? Uh, I don't know. Should we do? I feel like we should do some sort of miming activity. Miming activity where like we mirror each other's no, hands. No, we're never, ever doing that. <laughs> if you ever come to one of our events or do anything with us, we're never going to make you do that. <laughs> It just felt like it needed to happen in the moment. No, no. Hey, you know what? There are seven secrets to a legendary marriage, and miming is not one of them. <laughs> uh, okay, we'll better take that one out. If you're curious, um, you want to check out the second seven secrets of a legendary marriage, check out legendarymarriage.com slash seven, the number seven, secrets. Yeah. Hey, today on the show, we have this amazing guy, Daniel. Mm-hmm. who is a, a podcaster and an author and, most importantly, a married husband and father. A five. Yeah. Um, you know what? He's a real wild card because when we were going to have him on the show, I honestly <laughs> did not know what to think. Yeah. And he comes on and right out of the gate, he's blasting on all cylinders. So, hey, just yeah. let's get to our conversation with Daniel Geffen. All right. We are so happy to have Daniel Guffin on the show today. He is, first of all, he's an amazing podcaster. He has a show called Can I Pick Your Brain, where he has all these amazing experts on and he just picks their brain. That is something that we can get behind. Uh, Like seriously, if you all aren't subscribed to his show, you really need to for for one reason and one reason only. Because it's awesome. And the second reason that I wasn't going to tell you is uh, the episode, uh, the most recent one with the the memory guy. I'm struggling to remember. Stop! The Are you funny. doing a shtick? No, I'm, right I'm now? not doing a shtick. But it was so good. And he has an amazing book called The Self Help Addict, um, which we're going to dive into a little bit more today. Well, welcome to the show, Daniel. Thank you so much. Woohoo! I'm excited. All right. Oh, so you are live right now in Israel. So this is your evening and our morning. And so thank you for joining us this evening. Um, I just wanted to know, like, I'm always curious when people are in the self-help 
place. I want to know how you grew up. Were you in a family that was always about excellence or were you just kind of like ho-humming along? How raw do you want me to be on this uh, show? 100%. As, as much as you can, as much as you want, I'm willing to. I'm getting naked then. Here we go. I'm kidding. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, well, that's okay. That's okay. We're no. just audio right now. <laughs> oh, we are. Okay. But you you could see me, right? So yeah. uh, <clears throat> your husband wouldn't appreciate me getting naked. Oh. Uh, anyway, so, um, or maybe he would. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> back to me. Uh, so my <laughs> Jeez, where is this going? Uh, my parents slept in separate rooms growing up, um, which is kind of uh, confusing for me. But then my my mother would say that um, my father was, because he's a heavy smoker, he would snore at night. And so she just didn't like his snoring. So she slept in, in her own room and he slept in his room. But that was pretty much my upbringing. Uh, I kind of thought it was normal, you know, um, and and then later on they got divorced <clears throat> and um it's interesting because um when they got divorced i kind of went into this place of real acceptance even though it was like really sad but at the same time i just wanted them to both be happy and if both of them being happy meant being separate and that's what's most important. And it's really interesting that I'm saying this here because this is a marriage podcast and everybody's listening to this, you know, wanting to strengthen their marriage and, and how important it is to, to stay together. But it's also important to know that sometimes it doesn't work. Yeah. And it's actually when we know that it, when we know when it doesn't work and we're willing to walk away, then we're willing to, to, to stay together. And what I mean by that is until you're willing to die for something, you can't live for it. Yes. That makes sense. Exactly. Mm. I think you're right. <laughs> it, it always comes down to a decision. Like couples come to the end of, of their ability to, to figure on their own. Mm-hmm. And they can they can either end a relationship there, make the decision to end it, or they can make a relation uh, decision to invest in it in a different way. Mm-hmm. And and there's neither is wrong. And right. sometimes sometimes it does feel like it just comes down to it's not it's not the right relationship. It's it's just not going to work because we're we're not growing together. Yeah, and what's really interesting is that you know people think that it's only a decision to get divorced, but actually. It's not. It's a decision to stay married yeah. every single day. You've got to commit every single day to stay married. And uh, I'm just surprised that I've managed to get through 12 years that my wife stuck with me because, I mean, that's that's a miracle. She's stuck with me for 12 whole years so far. I was like, wow, you know, what's going on? Every day she's choosing to stay with me. But uh, uh, that's a whole nother story. <laughs> I, I resonate with that. I love that. And you have five beautiful kids too. So I think you guys are both pretty invested at this point. We're, we're invested. We're invested. Um, she, she, she basically has six kids. Let's, let's put it, you know, yeah, we don't have five. She has six pretty much. Um, uh, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I invest in my kids. I love my kids. Um, it was hard for me at the beginning because I, as a child, my father, it was, it was hard for me to have a relationship with my parents, with my father specifically. Um, my father's father was a Holocaust survivor. Um, he was shot and buried alive. Um, he was hung twice. And, um, and he managed to escape 
and his parents were shot in the head in front of him and he lost all of his siblings. And so when he came out and he was only 13 when he went into the camps. So from 13 to 18, he was there for five years. Um, that was his upbringing. And so when he came out uh, of the concentration camps, um, he didn't know what love 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 is he he missed out on that whole thing so he wasn't able to really <clears throat> when he when he got married and had children he wasn't able to give love and so my father found it very hard to give love to show love um and so i grew up in 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 a home where my father wasn't able to express himself to me and when i was able to mature i i i accepted him um and and forgave him because i realized that it was no different to if my father was, God forbid, in you know, in a car accident and um, and he had to be confined to a wheelchair. I wouldn't blame him for not going for a run with me. He's in a wheelchair, and so he, um, there's emotional wheelchairs. You know, people are in emotional wheelchairs, and when we recognize that, it changes everything. Perspective. Imagine you're standing in a supermarket, right, and you're at the ca- at the checkout. And someone behind you, behind you, bumps, you know, bumps you, uh, and you're not looking behind you. You're kind of just, you know, focusing on, on, you know, your groceries in front of you. And but you get a little bit agitated, like, excuse me, you know, bumping into me. But then they bump you again. You're like, are you kidding me? And then they bump you again, and you turn around. You're like, what? And then it's a, you know, guy sitting in a wheelchair. You're like, oh, I'm so sorry. Are you okay? Let me move out the way. Do you need help? What changed? It's that you saw that he had a disability and therefore that changes everything. The problem is, is that we don't necessarily see that when, when someone has an emotional disability. Mm. It's easy when it's a physical disability. And one of the things I talk about in my book with self-help addiction is that we all know that obesity is an issue, right? People uh, consume food to escape and, uh, and, and that basically becomes their addiction. And, and, but you can see when a person's obese, um, they're heavy, they're slow, they're tired, right? You feel it and you could see it. It's clear. Whereas emotional obesity is you, you don't necessarily, you don't see that, but what's happening inside in your head is that all of these emotions and these thoughts are piling up and piling up and piling up and you're over consuming, over consuming, and you're not um, releasing any energy, right? How do you release energy physically? Exercise, you exercise, right? You physically go out and exercise. Emotionally, if, if you're not releasing that energy, if you're not actually implementing the things that you're learning, then you just keep getting overwhelmed and stuck because you're overloaded and you feel heavy and you feel bloated. You're emotionally obese. Um, so going I, back- I love that. That's such a, um, an apt um, analogy because I've never really thought of that with people that are carrying emotional baggage. You yeah. just can't see it. So you, there's something in you, like once you're aware of it, you think, well, surely you should just be able to fix it or something like that. Like, but I love what you're saying. Like you wouldn't say that to a person in a wheelchair. Like you, you wouldn't have that thought even. And something you said about, um, like when your parents got divorced and just knowing the situation that your dad came from and his family, you use the word acceptance. Mm -hmm. And I'm just wondering, like, I feel like 
acceptance is such a different word from like maybe content or complacency or something like that, where you're just like, well, we just gotta, that's just how it is. We just got to deal with it. Where for you, the word was acceptance. I, it feels so heartwarming almost. Yeah. Well, you know, acceptance is really only the first step. <clears throat> um, I think that to go even deeper is to be, to have empathy. Yeah. Acceptance is the first, is the first stage is just to accept it. Uh, even, even if you don't understand it, like even if I don't understand the full picture, but I can accept that that's how he is and that's how he was and that's what happened. And then there's the step further, which is to have empathy, to really feel for that person. Uh, and to me, if you ask me one of the key ingredients in a successful marriage or in any relationship, but specifically marriage for sure, is, is to, to learn empathy to know how to really put yourself in the other person's shoes yeah. and to really see where they're coming from. Because men and women, we know, are totally different, right? We, yeah. We're like different, totally different animals. Um, I mean, people in general, you've got all these different personalities and different upbringings and different habits and, you know, but within marriage, you've got the added saying that you're living with this person and... Uh, they're just they're just from a whole different background. They've got different habits that they've grown up with, different um, personality, and they're a different species because they're you know most of the time the opposite sex. And so, the only way to really make that work is you've got to be able to just try to empathize with their, with them in their situation and realize that they've got a whole different background to you everything's different i love i love that the empathy thing i'm wondering were your siblings as good at as you at doing the empathy thing or did was there anybody who you know was tainted by it and was like you know what this isn't fair and i deserve you know love and hugs and everything from dad That's a really good question. Um, I don't really know how my siblings, um, how they were affected because they were kind of closed. They don't, they didn't, they're not as open as I am. I'm I'm an open book. I will come and I'll just literally talk about anything. Uh, My my siblings are mainly more reserved. um, So I don't know. uh, But I do also know that I also actively did something about it Mm. i didn't just accept and then empathize and then that was it i also took it to the next level where i i i tried to um to i guess create a bond so whereas usually the way it works is a father and a son you know the father gives the son um this feeling of, of manliness and power and confidence and, Hey son, this is what we do. And, you know, I had to be that for my father. Um, when he got divorced, it was a very hard time for him. He felt crushed and hurt. Um, you know, his mother also, by the way, not just having a father who was a Holocaust survivor, but his mother drowned in the lake when he was, um, about 14 years old. 
And so he also grew up with without his mother and he was sent to boarding school and, and basically had to spend his you know, teenage years in boarding school. Um, so he, he, in a way, like I was there to support him. Mm. And what's really interesting, I want to share like this, this one pivotal moment that, that happened for me. And this is why, this is where you go from acceptance to empathy to, to action. Because the thing is, is that for all you, um, men and women, you know, spouses out there who sometimes you'll go to church or you'll go to, you know, your rabbi will, will, will give over a, a speech, a very inspiring speech, or maybe you'll listen mm -hmm. to a podcast like this one and you'll get really inspired to take, you know, some sort of an, you know, like, Oh, I've got to do, we should do that. You know, I should definitely do that. Uh, but then what happens naturally is that the feelings dissipate and we go cold. And I'm giving a, a classic example would be, I remember very clearly a number of years ago, I was on a flight and I was watching a, a movie and the movie was actually um, about a father and son. I don't remember the name of the movie, but the whole movie, the, the father and son had this, this major, major fallout. And, and the, the, you know, this, they were, the son, I think, was trying to win over the father or the father was trying to win over the son. And to cut a long story short, but the end of the movie, uh, they reunite and they embrace and it's the most beautiful thing. And I burst out crying because I really related to that, that I wanted to have that relationship with my father. And I remember thinking in that moment, I, I should call my father up and I should just start, I should start the conversation, right? Tell him how much I love him and tell him how much, you know, all the things I want to tell him essentially. And the scary thing is, is that my father had a heart attack and because he's a heavy smoker and he almost died. And so the thought of that is really scary because you, you wonder like, what, what, what if he died? And I didn't say what I wanted to say to him and I didn't have that closure. But the crazy thing is, is that I never called my dad after that movie. And the reason why is because when the music dies down and the credits start playing and then you go and check Facebook or you go and do the next thing that you're doing, you just lose it. You just totally forget about it. And when you're in heat, that's the time to take action. When you are emotionally charged, that's the time to take action because when you wait, you call off. It's a calling off period. It's like when you buy something, they give you a calling off period because there's a you know buyer's remorse. That's we all have that calling off period. So now fast forward to about, um, I think it was about a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, I go to a seminar and it's about relationships. And he's telling, telling us about, you know, the relationship between a father and son. He's talking about his own father and I'm relating to everything he's saying. And he told us to close our eyes and to imagine us as a little child. And, you know, we went through this whole process and I had tears streaming down my face and then I had that feeling of, I got I should call my dad. And I didn't wait. I left the seminar. I picked up my phone and I called up my father and he says, Hey, is everything okay? Cause you know, we never speak. I said, everything is fine. I just want to tell you that I know that you had a hard upbringing and I know that you wanted to give love and you couldn't. And I want to tell you that I wouldn't replace you for anyone else. I love you just the way you are. You don't have to change anything. And I know you wanted to give to me 
And there's, if, if you want to know, there's only one thing that I, I want from you. There's only one thing. And that is, I want you to call me one time, just one time, just to tell me you love me. And that's it. And he turns around to me and he says, you know, I can't do that. Hmm. And I said, I know it's hard for you, but I believe in you. And I know that you will. And I know that one day you will. And we ended the conversation. And for me, it was just a major relief that I was able to, to, to say it and express it. Mm-hmm. About three days later, I'm playing tennis on the tennis courts. It was a Friday afternoon. And my phone rings. And I went to check you know, who was calling me and it was my dad. And I got such a fright because my dad only calls me when there's an emergency. So I was fearing the worst, like someone died or something. And I quickly picked up the phone. I'm like, hello. And there's this total silence. And then he says, I love you. And I, I like almost dropped the phone. Like I was my whole, I can't even describe what it felt like to me. It was like, forget millions of dollars. Like it's not even, that's like a joke. You know, you can't put a price on that. But the point is, is that it was because I took action in the heat of the moment. And that is so key. Yeah. It's so easy to miss that. Well, you took action. You took compassionate, courageous action in that moment. And it, and it, it changed things. It, like it, 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 it activated something in the relationship with your dad for you, for him, I'm curious, there are so many, so many guys that I've talked to over the years who have similar stories. Like there is a huge divide between father and son. And Mm -hmm. um, many struggle to move past the anger and hurt to get to that place of compassion, curiosity, empathy. What, what got you across that bridge? Well, I think the more that you know about someone, the more you can understand them. Yeah. And so it's like any, it's like any subject, you know, you want to become a doctor, you've got to study, right? You've got to, you want to be a heart surgeon, then you've got to know everything about the body. You got to know how it works, what's connected with what, like, you know, you got to study for years, any subject, you want to be a psychologist, you got to study psychology. You want to be a great cook, chef, you got to study recipes, you got to, if you want to understand someone, you have to study them. You have to know their background, know and find out information about them. The best way to find out information, ask them, sit down with them and ask them. Mm. And it's interesting how couples, what do we do when we go on a date? We go to see the movies or we go like, you're just staring at a screen. You're not learning anything about the person you're just sitting there watching some movie about someone else's life and you're like wow it's a great movie yeah wow what a great time but you sit down with your spouse even if it's for 10 minutes and you just talk about each other and and you know what was it like growing up who were you like who is this person that i'm married to you'd be surprised how many people are married to someone they don't know they don't know them Mm-hmm. You think you know them. You don't. You've lived with them for maybe five. I've been married for 12 years. I'm only discovering my wife now because I'm finding out more about who she was, where she came from, what, you know, who, just that's how you find out. So when I started to delve into my father's story, I started to understand where he came from. And I, that's how you get to forgiveness as you really start to understand, you know, who they are and where they came from. 
I, I love the um the curiosity in yeah. there too. Like it's something I can, we talk about a lot. Yeah. I just just sense that beaming off of you is just that curious nature. And you're right, that does build bonds between you when you're curious and then you share answers back and forth and you you just um solidify that connection even deeper. Um, I do want to talk about your wife, Lauren. Yeah, tell and, us about Lauren. And I want to know how you guys met. How did y'all meet each other? Okay, first of all, Lauren is the most incredible woman in the world. And I say that wholeheartedly. Like, there, there's like no other woman that would have put up with me. Because I had to go through a whole long journey. Like, seriously, I, I had to go through a whole journey of discovery. And with that comes just a lot of craziness. Um, and she had the patience and she had the tenacity and I guess she had the belief to stick with me and to see it through. And that is, I mean, I wouldn't be where I am today if she didn't have that belief in me. Cause when I didn't have belief in myself and I gave up hope, whether it was in business or whether it was, you know, whatever it was, spirituality, just belief in myself, she was there for me. And she, she, she stays strong till this day. She's always just giving me that hope. And, you know, well, I can't even imagine being with anybody else. And now we interrupt this episode of the Legendary Marriage Podcast to bring you a word from our sponsors, us. <laughs> All right. So we know that communication is the hardest part of marriage, right? Yeah. And the story goes something like this. You talk about the bills, the crushing the chores, keeping the kids alive. But it feels like you become really good roommates, yeah. not the soulmates you were when you got married. Maybe the busyness of life and the trials and challenges of raising a family have just worn you down. Maybe you're just more comfortable having transactional conversations instead of passionate, transformational, exciting ones. Oh, uh, the good news is that by making seven small shifts, you can get on the same page and have conversations that matter and then infuse more intimacy and connection into your marriage. Oh yeah. So what are those shifts? We've spent more than a decade researching and working with couples to distill down the seven most powerful shifts that couples can make to build more intimacy and connection. Nobody else is teaching this stuff at any price. And this free resource is available now at legendarymarriage.com slash seven secrets, the number seven secrets. And the good news is you can make these shifts, just break out of that roommate zone and transform your marriage without making your spouse sit through some boring workshop, endless counseling sessions, or sitting knee to knee naked in some weird sweat lodge, braiding each other's hair and holding hands while a bunch of people sit around staring at you singing Kumbaya. Was that just us? That Awkward. <laughs> so grab this free resource today at legendarymarriage.com slash seven, the number secrets and start building a life, a love and legacy together today. And now back to the show. How we met is actually a funny story. So um, we were actually, she's from California. She's the most bubbly. She is the light of the party. She'll come in and light up the room. Like you, you'll like, it'll be the first time you see her and you'll just be drawn to her. She's like a magnet. You just want to, you just want to get to know who she is. Cause she, she's just full of life, full of life. You wouldn't believe she has five kids. Because the amount of energy she has, we have an 11-year-old, a 9-year-old, a 7-year-old, a 2-year-old, and a 6-month-old. 
And she has so much energy for every single child and just uh, whatever. I can't even <laughs> begin to describe how, how amazing she is. Um, we met in Israel. I was, I was, uh, I grew up in London and I was in Israel visiting and she was visiting Israel. So it was kind of like a blind date. We never met each other. Um, and we went on a date, we went out together and I think we went out four or five times. Like it wasn't a lot. I fell in love with like straight away. Like first time I met her, I was bowled over and I'm like, this is my wife. Mm. Um, yeah, with her, it took a little bit longer. <laughs> um, <laughs> it sounds familiar. Yeah. I yeah. <laughs> so the thing is, I am a very tenacious person. I'm, I'm one of the, I was one of those kids that got whatever he wanted because I just would nag and nag and nag. And my parents would just literally give in because if they didn't, it would be like, they were hostages pretty much. Um, that also sounds familiar. <laughs> I was very stubborn. I wouldn't give in until I got what I wanted. So I had this tenacity to me. So when I decided that this is the girl I want to marry, um, the fact that she was going back to California, uh, well, okay. I'll just go to California with her. And it's like, she's like, after well, five wait. dates, <laughs> after five dates. And she said to me, look, you know, um, you know, she's 18 at the time. No, she was turning 19. And she said, look, uh, where are you going to stay? I'm like, Oh, I'll just find somewhere. She's like, what? I don't understand. You're going to just leave everything. I had a job. You just gonna leave everything and just find a place to stay. Like, what does that mean? I was like, don't worry, just I'll figure it out. She's like, okay. <laughs> so I just crashed at someone's house. First of all, I'd never been to America before. It was the first time I've gone to the US. I'm going to California. I don't know anybody. And uh, I found out that this person knows this person and this person know that. And then I ended up crashing at this house. Um, to cut a long story short, we ended up basically dating for about two months. Um, and she kept saying how much she likes me. But there was this disconnect I wanted to just propose and get married, but she wasn't ready and I couldn't figure it out. So I, I remember at one point I said to her, I said, I don't understand. You said you like me and like, what else could there be? Like, what? <laughs> I was so immature. It was so funny. I was like, what? And like, I'm what's thinking she's 19. That is very young. That is right. very young to right. uh, field a proposal, I would think. Right, right. Um, so she... She basically said to me, you're too nice. I was like, okay, that's interesting. And I went away really think, because I did psychology in, in school and I've always been fascinated with human nature and studying psychology. So to me, that was like, what? What, what is that? Like someone's too nice? Like, isn't that yeah. the whole point? Don't, don't you want to get married that, to someone that's really nice? Um, by the way, now I use it like if I'm, if I'm not so nice, it, like, you know, sometimes like I'll have a bad day and she'll be like, you know, I'll be like, you didn't want me to be so and she's like, oh my God, you seriously bringing that up when we were like teenagers, <laughs> like boys and girls, like dating. Of course, it's like, it's a different story. Once you get married, of course you want your husband to be nice. You want him to be super nice. But like before you want to like, kind of, you know, like make it hard to get like, oh, whatever. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so funny how the dynamics switch right yeah um anyway so i'm figuring this out over the weekend i'm trying to figure this out like i'm too nice i don't understand and then i realized there's a rule in sales there's this thing called the takeaway close 
And the takeaway close is basically using scarcity tactics to, to show the person, hey, if you don't you know, buy this now, you're not going to be able to buy it for the same price. The price is going to go up, right? Da, 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 da. That's why when there's sales, people rush to the store and buy crazy things that they would never buy anyway, but they buy it because, oh my God, the price is going to go up. So I got to get it, but you don't need that. No, it doesn't matter. I need to buy it because it's going to go up. Like what? Okay. So the takeaway close works really well in sales. The scarcity tactics works really well. And what I realized is when, when she was saying I'm being too nice, it's, it's, you're being, she, she didn't really mean you're being too nice. What she meant was, and by the way, for all you men out there, women, they say one thing, but they mean another thing, right? So we have to kind of learn the new language, um, which also applies to men. Um, when wait, I go, can, I, can I take a guess of what you think she really meant? Can yeah. I take a guess? Yes. Um, you, she was fearing that you were a doormat and that you wouldn't be a formidable uh, match for her. That's interesting. I was going to say you're being too easy, but that kind of sounds like the same. The okay, same maybe mine was a little harsher, yours, but yeah. No, yours was definitely harsher. Nice, wow. Danielle. Ouch, man. <laughs> maybe that's why I grew this beard, to feel more of a man. Yeah. <laughs> um, or to, to absorb some of the shock from Danielle yeah, right across the jaw there. Jeez. No, but you do want somebody who's going to match you. Yes. You, you know, wit for wit and things like that. Well, let's That's be clear, I, Danielle, you want somebody who's going to kind of match you, but then you're going to win. Uh, wait, hold on. I don't want to get involved in your marriage. Likely. likely. Oh, wait, yeah. Back to Danielle. Okay. What was <laughs> I don't, don't want to get in between your marriage. Like, can you imagine like, oh, the marriage guys who like started the podcast and then they got into a massive fight because of Daniel. Gavin. Oh, we do that all the time. We do that uh, all the that's time. That's how we're going to promote this episode. <laughs> Oh, okay, so that's um, the clip right there. Okay, so Daniel, why were you too nice? What is the trans the real oh, no, translation? No. Right. So the real translation that I that I thought it was was you're too easy. In mm. other words, when you're dating, it's funny. So dating and marriage are totally different. When you're dating, you want, and this applies to guys as well. Sure. You want to win the game. You want a game, you want a challenge. You, if a girl runs up to you and says, Oh my god, you're amazing. You're like, uh, easy tiger. Like, mm. yeah. if a guy comes up to a girl and just like, hey, let's, you know, whoa, calm down there, son. You know, what's going on over here? <laughs> there's a, there's a, there's a game. Right? It's the heart. And the interesting yeah. thing with guys and girls is that usually the hardest girl to get is the one that's the most attractive. And the hardest guy to get is the one that's the most attractive, right? You try that in marriage and you're going to get a punch in the face. Like, what are you, you're hard to get. Like, what are you, what are you doing? It's like, not going to go well. Yeah. Married now, right? It's done. We've sealed the deal. Now we want commitment. Now we want just you before it's, wow, there's all these options. So yeah. if you're too easy, it's like, mm, you're too easy. Maybe there's someone else like, you know? And so that's what I realized it must be is that she just felt this was just too easy. Right. And so I decided to play the game. Oh, geez. What so happened, she, Daniel? <laughs> I'm so happy this worked out. Um, she calls me <laughs> up. <laughs> um, and she's like, hey, how's it going? I'm like, yeah, it's all right. And she's like, oh, is everything okay? Yeah, yeah, no, things are fine. Yeah, how, how are you? How was your weekend? She's like, yeah, it was so much fun. I was with my friends and we did this and we did that. I'm like, oh, cool. 
like, what did you do? I was like, no, nah, not much. I mean, I've been thinking about things and um, I don't really know how to say this, but, you know, I just don't think it's going to work out. Now, as I'm saying this, you got to understand that my heart is beating like a million miles a second. And it's you're like, don't, mind. don't accept it. This Please don't like accept guy, this. Don't, don't this accept this up. answer. This is right. like the guy at the poker night. Oh, yeah. He's bluffing. All his chips in on a pair of deuces. <laughs> right. Yeah, totally. Totally call the, don't call the bluff. It's totally the guy going all in and don't call my bluff. Please, whatever you do. <laughs> so, of course, she turns around and goes, what? What are you talking about? What do you mean? And so I said, look, um, you know, we've been dating and I just feel like it's not really going anywhere. And I really got to get back to like my job and my life. And we, I think we need to just move on and just, you know, see other people. And she's like, no, what do you mean? We're in the middle. Like we're having a relationship. Why would you just end it like that? I don't understand. And I said, Look, um, the problem is, is that the more I go out with you, the more I fall in love with you. And I just don't want to be so heartbroken that there's just, I, I just feel like it's better for, for us if we just end it now. And she just said, oh, I, I just wish we can give it like another go. And I said, okay, I have an idea. She's like, okay. That I, I said, have been thinking about for the past week. Yeah. <laughs> this, I said, I, wanted, we want, I want to go on one more date. I want to go to the beach and we're going to play a game. She's like, oh, okay, I love games. What is it? I said, it's called Spin the Bottle. But we don't kiss. Instead, we're going to write down 10 questions each. And these questions have to be like real deep questions, like totally life like your whole life course has to be with these questions like you know how you know you know your kids upbringing where do you want to live like if there's a fire uh in your house what would be like the three things you take out like really deep like life uh forming questions and then we're going to put them in a hat we're going to spin the bottle and whoever the bottle points to they have to answer the question and she's like oh my god i love that okay cool and so we went to the beach and we wrote these 10 questions. We spent a long time writing these questions down. We scrumpled them up, we put them in a hat and we spun the bottle and we basically answered all the questions. And at the end, she looks up at me and she said, I'm ready. Mm, it paid okay, off. Okay, I'm sorry. It this, paid off. This, this, is, this is like a screenplay for... <gasps> it is, Daniel. You should... You should sell this story. Oh my gosh. I'm trying to think of who plays Daniel in the movie. I don't know. Somebody with an awesome my beard, wife, though. My yeah. wife would want Leonardo DiCaprio, probably. But um, yeah. yeah. He, he can rock the beard. He can rock the beard. I don't know if he could if he could pull off the earnestness of Oh, he can be <laughs> earnest. He can be earnest. He's got a lot of levels to him. Um, Leo, if you're interested, yeah. <laughs> give Daniel a shout. Drop, drop Daniel a note. Listening to this, yeah, for sure. Yeah, you need help. Oh like my any. gosh. So then it worked. And then you guys got married. And now later, well we played. Yes. <laughs> Did she know that it was a bluff? Did she ever find out? Told, yeah. She found out when I wrote my book. And this <laughs> is in there. Um, but she uh no, she she Wait. actually commended me for it. Was it really a bluff? 
or were you really going to leave? Uh, no, I wouldn't have left. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, 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 no, cause I just knew like in my soul, this was meant to be. Okay, I'm curious. So now you're living in Israel, which is where you guys kind of like had your blind date scenario where neither one of you live there. You're from London. She's from California. You guys end up going on this blind date in Israel. Did you guys move back there out of like some romantic gesture? That's an interesting question. Um, I think we both had our hearts set on Israel. Um, We were going to retire together there. Mm. But then one day I basically just came home and said, why would we wait to live in the place we love until we're old and wrinkly? Let's just do it now. Like, yeah. why wait? I don't, I don't believe in like, everybody's like, oh, well, when I retire, then I'm going to do this. It's like, you might be would, dead by then. <laughs> you might be dead. You might be crippled. You might have heart failure. God forbid, but I'm saying. Yeah. 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 Right. So we just, we just retired earlier or at least we went to the place we wanted to retire earlier. <laughs> Yeah, I love that. And so it sounds like you've always adopted action as kind of your default setting. Like, hey, well, we're going to move to Israel. And, you know, I feel like that really is resonant in your book, The Self-Help Addict. Can you tell me a little bit about just kind of how you came about the idea for that book, um, The Self-Help Addict, where people just kind of are stagnant. And then you're like, come on, we got to take action here, people. Right. Um, so I, I am a self-help addict. And so the book really was, was just me coming out and expressing myself and my journey. Um, I was always the guy that went to Barnes and Nobles when it was, you know, a thing to go to Barnes and Nobles. I don't know if it still is because of Amazon. Before, before they boarded it up in most places. Yeah before before they got yeah like blockbusters where you went in your pajamas and you kind of was like honey what about this what about that and it's like oh cool let's go get some over expensive popcorn and coke and it was alarming how many people you would see in there adults wearing pajamas i loved Uh, it though it was like a thing you went yeah and and it was always the same thing it's like don't they have anything we haven't seen yet? Oh, when is the new releases coming? I've seen that, seen that, seen that, seen that. That's crap. Come on, where's like the good, you know? But it was you had to go. Fighting. You had to go like into the into the into the stacks yeah. there and find the yeah. the crappy B movie like horror movies which, and stuff like which that. Which stacks are you going into? Not the one behind the curtain, right? <laughs> no, <laughs> just the, like in the middle around the outside was all the stuff that everybody mm. wanted. But yeah. you had to go like my dad and I would go into the into the middle into the old horror movies and stuff. Yeah. Oh, he never wore his pajamas in public, but. He may have worn like sweatpants once or twice to right. the movie place. Oh my god! Anyway, so but so blockbusters is, is is history and memories, good memories. Um, Netflix crushed them like a cockroach, and uh, Amazon crushed Barnes and Nobles. So back in the day when it was a thing to go to Barnes and Nobles, I would literally get sucked in like it was a vacuum cleaner sucking me in there, yeah. and I would, and my wife would be standing next to me with the kids, and she would see me eyeing you know, Barnes and Nobles. And she'd say, don't even think about going in there. I'm like, just for like 20 minutes. She's like, dude, it's not gonna be 20 minutes. It's gonna be two hours because you're going to take an hour to find the right book. Okay. And then you're going to sit down and have to read the first chapter and you're gonna have to buy your little marker pen and you're gonna have to mark the whole, it's not going to be 20. I was like, oh, please. And I'll be like, just get the kids some ice cream. And, and, you know, and she's like, oh, okay, fine. So I would go in there 
And I'd go straight to like, you know, the self-help section. It's like, oh, what goodies are, are out there now? Like, what were the new new releases? Like, what which book is going to save my life, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so that was like the whole thing is that I would get caught into that whole trap where I would find a book and then I would look at the back of the cover to see like the testimonials and then like flip through it and I'll be looking for the right one, the one that's going to change my life. And then I'd get my little yellow Sharpie and then I would go and, you know, you know, buy the book and sit in the corner and start basically marker penning everything because sure everything's really amazing. Wow, this is amazing. Wow, this is incredible. Wow, this is going to change my life. It's like the whole book is yellow, dude. What the heck is the point of marking? Uh, <laughs> I have a few books like that, I'm sure. Right? Like, what's the point? The whole point of marker penning something is that you can glance through it and then you see the main points. But if every page is filled with marker pen, then just leave it blank for crying out loud. Well, but anyway, a little overwhelming. It is. So then you get to the end of the book and this is where, you know, I start to feel this like feeling inside of, oh no, like it's over. Now I have to go and do something about it. And so what happens next is that the loop continues. So I'm like, oh, let me find out more about this author. And you go to the website and you see they got a webinar. Oh, great. I've got to check out this webinar because that's going to change my life. So you get to the webinar and, uh, and then of course, at the end of the webinar, they sell you on this you know, live event, you know, fly here with, you know, and and rent and get a hotel and da da da, and you'll be with all these like-minded people who are basically all self-help addicts and you will then change your life. And of course you, uh, you know, book the ticket on a credit card that's maxed out basically, and you've got no money to pay for it, but it's going to change your life. So it's an investment. So you've got to do it anyway. And then you basically go to this live event, you jump up and down, you write your goals and then you feel amazing. You walk on some calls, you come back home and you press the snooze button. Mm-hmm. And you go back to Barnes and Nobles and you buy another book and you start the whole cycle again. Sound familiar? Well, yeah. it's like you're not <laughs> addicted to the transformation results. You're addicted to the um, the juicing up of it. Like you're like, yeah. oh yeah, it's going to be awesome. I struggle. I struggle That's with the that. addiction part. I struggle with it in a couple of ways. Like even even saying what I'm about to say, because I'm I'm not really trying to judge anybody, but like there there are people who just read, who go mm-hmm. through 500 books a year, yes. and I'm like that that's fantastic. I'm glad you're reading that, that that's good. I go through five or six hundred episodes of of various TV shows a year. Game of Thrones. <laughs> Why isn't that celebrated? No. Um, <laughs> good job, honey. <laughs> you're so good. <laughs> um but like what's the fruit like right. what yeah like where 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 does how the, are you different where does consuming turn into creating and you mentioned <laughs> that earlier and it's just yeah. my buddy ryan and i had a conversation a few years ago where he talked about he tries to constantly have a balance between consuming and creating mm-hmm. whether it's mm-hmm. with books or movies or or whatever mm-hmm. but, but where where we get into an out of balance there like consuming without creating is just narcissistic or something. Gluttony. Gluttony. (laughs) And creating without taking in creative energy, consuming something, it it just runs you dry. Yeah, Yeah. you're going to run flat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like hoarding. You know, you just hoard stuff and you just keep it and you just don't. And you end up with a really, really stuffed up attic that just can't get used now. That's your brain. 
your brain becomes a stuffed up attic that can't be used. Yeah. It just, it's so slow because there's too much information there. Mm. And so you wonder why you wake up and you're just like overwhelmed and you just can't think straight and you're not focused and you're not creative. Your creative energy is one of the most powerful things that we have. It's the yeah. most, one of the most powerful things we have is creative energy. And when we're so stuffed up with information, we don't have space for that creative energy, you know? And I wonder if, whether it's your marriage or your business or your health, how do you help people move from that? Like, I'm just consuming all these self-help things or, you know, these messages or these webinars or these seminars or these live events or whatever it is to actually taking action to transform your life. Like, how do you make that switch? Um, uh, so there's really, there's two ways. I think the second way is way more powerful. There are some people that can do it on their own. There are some people that can go to the gym and they're self-motivated and they can just literally religiously hit that gym, um, cut out the, you know, the bad stuff, the carbs, the sugar, whatever it is that they're trying to do. And they've got that self-determination. And we all know someone like that. We all hate them, right? Deep down inside. Um, I'm kidding. We love everyone. Jerks. Yeah, we hate them. No, I'm kidding. Um, kind of, but, but not really. But then, there's, but then there's most of us who we need somebody who's going to keep us accountable. We need someone who's going to be that person who can remind us of our goals, remind us of what we dedicated ourselves to and committed to. Um, and essentially that that could be in the form of a friend or a coach. Um, and I find though that with friends, it's, it's less effective because you don't really have so much skin in the game. You're not that committed and you could tell your friend to basically F off. But when you pay a coach, you could tell them to F off, but you're paying the invoice, you know? So, yes. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, it's not, you've, you've invested in it, right? So you want it to work. Um, usually when we pay for something, we end up, taking that thing more seriously, which is why all these free YouTube videos, like you can learn anything on YouTube, anything. I mean, my son can literally build a rocket ship with YouTube videos. I'm not even kidding. Not that I'm going to. And he has. <laughs> and, yeah, right. Um, but the thing is, is that when you have so much abundance of free information, like I said before, we get overwhelmed and we take no action. Um, when you've got a coach they're there to direct you and keep you focused. And there's just one path and they just tell you, this is what needs to be done. And you've paid them. So like I said, when you've got skin in the game and you've invested in it, you take it more seriously. Um, so that's the other way to do it is you've got to hire someone who mm. has been where you are and has kind of come out the other side and they can just guide you and keep you accountable and make sure that you do what you say you're going to do. Because uh, it's and like even just signing the invoice and like sending the PayPal is yeah. like that is action in itself. Yes. Like I feel like that's a step towards you know what? Hey, I've invested in this. Whether I you know we celebrate just that. With, yeah, with new clients. Like, that's what I'm saying. Is it? like that is action in itself. It's not the full transformation, but that's a big deal. Is like yeah. hey, I'm not going to sit here and like you said in that airplane movie about the dad and the son, like I'm not going to let the sun go down on my 
uh, enthusiasm. You know, I'm going to take action and I want to celebrate that. And I want to know, Daniel, how can our listeners, I know they're falling in love with you and what you're about and your book. Um, how can we um, find out what you're doing, what you're up to, keep up to date on all that? For sure. So um, first of all, I'd love to hear from everybody. Um, I'm fascinated with everybody's stories and what they're going through, their challenges. I'm always up for a challenge. So if I can help anyone, um, I'd be really happy to. Uh, they can email me. Just just send me a direct email. It's daniel at daniel geffen with one F. So geffen with one F dot com. Uh, that's daniel at danielgeffen.com. And I respond to every email personally. I don't have some person in the Philippines sitting there uh, sending, you know, templated messages, you know. Um, yeah. um, I, try to, I try to be, you know, authentic and, uh, and I love what I do. I love, um, I love helping people. Um, and if I can help someone to get unstuck and uh, get them to reach the goals that they've always you know, dreamed of achieving and that they deserve to achieve, then yeah. And you also have a podcast. Yep. Let's, uh, and I mentioned it at the top of the show, but it's yeah. Can I Pick Your Brain? And we don't want to miss the book too, for sure. Amazon, you know, our favorite place or Barnes and Noble. If you yep. still have a Barnes and Noble around you, you the can search self- for Daniel's, Daniel's name. Yeah. And Self Help Addict. Daniel, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. It has been a pleasure. Thank you so, so much. I had so much fun and uh, really appreciate you guys having me on. All right, and now the Talk About It segment of the show. Each week, we challenge you to set a time with your spouse to have a conversation that matters. Lordy. Um, (laughs) So Daniel was all about the, like, taking action piece. And stop just consuming and reading and going to events and everything and then just letting it stagnate like a Are you ever going to get to the question? The question is, where do you need to stop thinking and take action? Thank you for that. <laughs> get it? Because you were, were kind of... I get it. It's okay. so meta, honey. You're it's just... so meta. <laughs> All right. Hey, that's it for today's show. Grab your copy of The Seven Secrets of Legendary Marriages over at legendarymarriage.com slash the number seven secrets. Lastly, don't forget to subscribe, rate, yes. and review this yes, show. Yes, yes. So we know how we're doing and other couples can find us. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Legendary Marriage Podcast. Hey, this is Danielle and Justin reminding you. Don't settle for an ordinary marriage. Make yours legendary.